You are listening to the GTT podcast from the Canadian Council of the Blind. Welcome, everyone. My name is Jerry Chevalier. A few of you on this participants list will know me. And um, one of my passions are certainly uh, very busy activities, which I think, again, is represented by most of us on this list, is to read audiobooks. And I have a friend from Madison, Wisconsin. His name is Neil Ewers, whom I've known for quite a few years now. And Neil is a blind person, but he's also an audio professional in almost every manner of audio that you can think of. Um, although he was formally educated in sociology and was a social worker for some time early in his career, he's always, since he was a young boy, been interested in audio and has pursued that throughout his life, eventually making it his profession. He's also been a concert pianist at uh, one point in his life, so he certainly understands um, the techniques and the and ways to record music as well as audio narration. Uh, he has worked as uh, in the Trace Research Center at the U of Wisconsin over part of his time. He has beta tested for many companies, including Humanware, where I was. He was part of the Victor Reader Project, part of the NLS Talking Book Project when they created their new cartridge player. And he's uh, beta tested for uh, large companies like Microsoft, uh, even uh, Song, uh, people that made SoundForge for some of those that remember using SoundForge from an early time. But through all of that experience with audio, I think his passion has been to create audio books. And he still does that to this day. Having uh, and Neil's greatest passion, I think, is certainly in recent years with audio has been to produce talking books, principally for audible.com. He's done quite a number of these and has worked with authors, with publishers, certainly with the narrators. He's done voice coaching for narrators and, and spoken with authors, publishers, and narrators about how a book should pre be produced, and then looked after all the technical stuff in the background and ultimately um, uh, finished the book so it met the technical requirements of audible.com. So, but even if you don't listen to audible.com books, all of the principles still apply to books from SELA or other audiobook sources. So I think you will enjoy this. When Neil and I talked about the presentation a couple of months ago, we said, let's not make it too technical because we, we tend not to have we have a few technical people on all call after all calls because it is get together with technology, but mostly when it comes to audiobooks, uh, we're, we're going to talk about how we enjoy the audiobook, the role the author plays, the role the narrator plays, how much of a role should the narrator play. And Neil tells me he's looking for your feedback as well as his points of view on these topics. So, uh, Neil, I invite you to unmute yourself. And with that introduction, I'm looking forward to your presentation. And please take us away. Hello, everyone. It's very nice to be here. Thank you, Jerry, for the lovely introduction. And it's nice to meet the ones of you that I've gotten to speak with beforehand. And it's nice to have met Kim. It's a good program you have going. I'm sure you've all learned a lot. And I hope you keep up the good work. 
I'm going to talk for a bit. I hope I don't bore you to tears. And then we're going to have some fun. I'm going to play various clips, including several narrators talking about how books should be read, or at least how they read them. My editing a portion of a book that I recorded, or several books that I recorded, to show you how the editing is done. And a clip of my conversation with an author and a narrator I worked with just recently during COVID online, where lots of work had to be done to get rid of, well, interesting sounds in a place that wasn't a studio because the author and the narrator were both in their house, and I was here in my little quiet studio. Let's get started. Today, a lot of people self-publish their books. That's easy to do in print. You just write a book, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, sure, just easy thing. Well, that's what you do anyway. You can have an Amazon account and publish your books there, and they will be there to be seen by anybody who wants to see them, especially if you put in the right search criteria so that when people search for a particular word that happens to be in your book, it might show up. The book does need to be in ebook format, so you have to have some way to convert it, or Amazon has a way to do that for you. It's kind of simple, actually. I know several people who've done it and who've had a lot of books published that way. Of course, then you have to market it. Well, that's the hard part. It's not as easy to do recorded books that way. You could read your own book into a recorder and go that way. You can put it on your website if you have one. But how will people know that it's there? Again, marketing. You could put a short clip on YouTube of your reading part of the book. If you're very lucky, people will find it. And if you're really lucky, you might be discovered by either a book publisher or a person who wants a nice voice to narrate their own book. But that's a stretch. Although lots of people are discovered on YouTube, so you never really know. You could, of course, tell your friends about it on social media. And that would spread the word to who knows how many people. But it will be a lot of work to get your book out there. Secondly, there are a lot of small publishers around today. You've written a book, and you want it recorded. Some of the smaller publishers may have several authors they represent. You contact the publisher and see if they're interested in publishing your book. They may have narrators they've used in the past, or you may know someone you'd like to have read your book for you. Sometimes people read their own books, and the publisher could be of great help here. They can help you get it recorded, help you find a narrator, and they can help upload it to Audible and other places. Or you may simply have it put on CDs, which is what people used to do, not so much anymore, because, interestingly enough, CDs are becoming passé. Who knew? If you publish it on CD, you could still sell it on Amazon. You can sell most anything on Amazon, including your book. Here, too, though, there will be a lot of work to market it. The third option is to go to a major publisher and you only do this if you think you're famous enough to have one of them be interested. Again, you send them your book and see if they're interested, and if you are in sync with a larger publisher, they'll know your work and decide, well, yeah, why don't we publish the 14th book she's written? They certainly will have a list of narrators they could recommend. If you don't choose to use one of their narrators, you could go to some place like ACX, otherwise known as the Audiobook Creation Exchange, 
which is a division of Amazon, which handles the entire process of putting a book on Audible, including rights management, choosing a narrator, paying the narrator, and receiving payments from your audiobook. And ACX has a lot to offer. Even if you're publishing it all by yourself, you can certainly go there and use their resources. They have a list of authors, narrators, print publishers, agents, studio professionals. And if you've written a couple books, you might want to get an agent. It's a, well, agents are not as popular as they used to be because a lot of people do it themselves. Agents are like travel agents who used to book your flights for you. But a lot of people simply book them themselves now. Same with agents. But if you have one, they can certainly help you, if you pay the fee, to get your book published, to get it recorded, to market it, etc. So that's a thought, if you want to go that route. There are other similar places, too. Audiobooks.com is an Audible competitor from Canada. They have a very similar structure to Audible. Audiobooksnow.com is very similar to Audible. Its major departure point is in its pricing structure. And there are still others. If you go this route, here's what you'd do. You'd write a pitch for your book, telling prospective narrators what the book is about. You would send the chapter to the people you have chosen to audition your book and see if they're interested. Tell them what you're willing to pay and listen to the audition you receive and see if you like it. I've helped a number of people with these, and we've sometimes gone through four or five narrators before we choose the one we want. Because the narrator has to be what the author wants it to be. It isn't necessarily that the narrator can know the author's mind and read it exactly the way the author wants, but there's often a particular reader that stands out in an author's mind as a person who might be really good at reading the characters in the book, etc., You could even have a conversation with that reader about how you think different characters should be handled. And it's ultimately up to the reader to do it justice. Some readers spend a lot of time getting to know the characters in a book. This is much like what the author has done, except for the fact that the author had to make up the character to begin with. Having a book read can be costly. Readers, depending on their experience and fame, can charge anywhere from $10 an hour for reading to over $600 an hour or more. Those are the really famous narrators, but they do command a rather high price. And if your book takes 12 or 15 hours to read, well, that's a lot of money. The next step, of course, is to decide Where will the book be recorded? Sometimes well-known readers use a particular studio for the recording. Other narrators may use one that is suggested by the publisher. And, of course, there is the cost of the studio. This can vary from $30 to $40 an hour to hundreds of dollars an hour. Often the studio will send a chapter or part of the book to you to listen to, to see if you have any comments. You may ask the narrator to redo a sentence or part of the book. This, of course, adds to the hour total of the reading of the book. It's also very hard to have a narrator, even good ones, I've discovered, insert something into a book that doesn't sound like it's inserted. If you've read a book months ago, 
and then somebody wants you to change a sentence, you're not only not in the same mood you were, you may not know the exact distance from the microphone you were, I suspect that many of you have heard a change in a book all of a sudden that says, ooh, wait, that sounds different, and that may be the reason why. Different studios do have different rates, as I said, depending on demand, and depending on how well-known they are. So how does it work? Normally, when I record, the author and the narrator are in the studio. There might even be a person who is the overall producer of the project. Sometimes, somebody from the publishing company might be there as well. The author and publisher are checking the hard copy of the book as it is being read. Sometimes, I and they may make suggestions about how a particular sentence or paragraph could be read differently. We also obviously stop and re-record any incorrectly pronounced word. There's one thing I've discovered that is really important to help the narrator stay on track. This means that if they're reading a passage and they make a mistake, before they read again, you play the last thing they have read before the mistake. And then start recording and immediately have the reader begin to read. This makes a much smoother transition because the reader can say, okay, I hear how I read the previous portion. I'm going to try to do that in the next sentence. Now, a well-known respected reader might actually just be alone in a studio reading it by himself or herself, especially if the publisher trusts that reader and if they're really famous and have done good work for them before. But always, there's somebody there to double-check to see if the reader is reading the right words, because every once in a while, you can get so excited about reading a book that you mispronounce a word, or skip a word, or get lost. You're so engrossed in what you're doing sometimes, because you've taken the place of that character, that you just sort of forget your lines, even though you're looking at them. But that gets us into something I've always wondered, and we'll talk more about this later. Whose interpretation am I getting when I read a book? Am I getting what the author wants me to hear? Or what the narrator, who is not the author, unless, of course, the author reads it, but let's assume that's not the case, is the narrator giving me their interpretation? Or are they good enough to give me the author's interpretation? Let's talk for a second about narrator interpretation. Let's say I'm narrating a book. I'm not going to tell you anything about the character who's speaking. I'm just going to read one line of the dialogue in two different ways. Which emotion are they trying to portray? I really don't care how we do this. I really don't care how we do this. There's a big difference here. Speech intonation is one of the most important things in human speech to begin with and in reading a book. Let me give you a possible sentence in a book. I'm going to say it in a monotone voice, so I won't give what I'm going to ask you away. The sentence is, I don't think I'd ever do it that way. Sounds like my old echo synthesizer. I bet some of you remember that one. Now, how many different ways could you say that sentence? You could, for example, say, I don't think I'd ever do it that way. Meaning, of course, you wouldn't do it that way, but maybe other people would. Or, I don't think I'd ever do it that way. There's a little bit of a question there. You might, or you might not. I don't think I'd ever do it that way. 
Not ever in your life. Or I don't think I'd ever do it that way. Almost any word in the sentence you emphasize changes the meaning of the sentence. And we do this all the time in spoken English, but we don't think about it. And that's how people come to know us through our voices in ways that we don't even mean to project something we're saying. Of course, readers use intonation all the time to make a great deal of difference. And they may think long and hard about the exact intonation they use to get across the point. But which one did the author intend? I don't know. Maybe they don't either. But it is an interesting thing to think about intonation, just one part of how a reader reads, and the changes in the meaning one can get by hearing the words spoken in a certain way. One of the many things I do in my fun-filled life is that I'm a voice coach. I work with people on these very issues. How does one use their voice in the way they want it to sound to others versus how it sounds if they don't even think about it? And there are things like intonation, speed of delivery, the major pitch of a person's voice to begin with, etc. And it's interesting to me that readers do all of this, and they think about it. They have to. I'm going to play a snippet in which there are several professional readers talking about how they read books. Scott Brick is one of them. You might have heard him read. And let's see what they have to say about how they think books should be read. Some other questions came in about how do men handle performing women's voices and women handle performing men's voices? Well, first of all, you don't want to play gender. Uh, you want to play the attitude. When women generally do men, they'll go like this, right? And uh, men will kind of be effeminate. Don't go too far because you'll break the suspension of disbelief. What Scott does is puts a little air underneath when he delivers a female. Just a little bit more air going through, and then follow that idea of more engagement than men, just generally. It's uh, going up at the end of women's sentences and down at the men's. It's, you know, why won't you talk to me? I don't feel like talking. Tell me how you feel. I feel like not talking. I'm not doing anything crazy with my voice. There's a little breath in there. It's aspirating just a little bit, but not too much. And all that matters in audiobooks is, does the listener know who's speaking at all times? The sweet smell of validation. Penny leaned back in her chair and considered the possibilities. You notice what she does. She puts a lot of character into the narrator. And I love that. People always ask me, should you do that? Yes, you should do that. Authors want you to do that. So when Pat was saying, you know, let's hear that kind of settling into the chair, I thought maybe she was going to do it on the line. Me too. I want him to beg. But you know what she did? She goes, she settled back into the chair. She did it on the the narrative. And we buy that all day long as a listener. Oh, yeah. We want to be guided into how we're supposed to think and feel by the narrator. Just, just try to always make sure that you're bringing something to the story. Sometimes, especially if you're not very familiar with a piece or you're not familiar, familiar with the genre, you're going to read it kind of neutral. It'll be neutral. Because if we say something like, um, uh, there's something wrong with my brother. I don't know what it is. He could be crazy. Yeah, that's what it is. He's crazy. Now I'm going down on every sentence. And the audience is going, he's done. No, he's not. He's good. Right? You're cueing the audience wrong. There's something wrong with my brother. I don't know what it is. Could be crazy. Yeah, that's what it is. Scott, you tell them about dishonoring punctuation. It doesn't exist in human speech. It's a human manufactured thing that we do to approximate human speech. It's a visual cue. 
Now, we have to turn those visual cues into oral cues. And another way to look at it is an author is in punctuation prison, and we have the key to get them out. Brave choice, Branford grinned, simultaneously waving down the server. The way that's written is brave choice, comma, Branford grinned, simultaneously waving down the server. That means Branford grinned the line. You know, you actually can't do that. But you, you know what I'm saying. So what I'll do, I'll sometimes dishonor the punctuation. Show how you do I'll say, brave choice. Branford grinned, simultaneously waving down the server. I just change the comma to a period. I mean, that's all I do. I make it sound like it's two sentences. Right. You have to figure out when to break the rules. That's all. Do it judiciously. Listen to audiobooks. You don't have to listen to the whole thing. You can hear an excerpt from it, as you can with every book on Audible. Listen to, listen to the same kind of genre you think you might be working in or that you're auditioning for, and it'll give you a sense for you know, how that genre is handled on audio. And now, back to the program in progress. Okay. So the book has been narrated, and now we come to the editing of the recording. Even if read correctly, there will be breath sounds, mouth-clicking sounds, and other things that need to be removed, as was the case in something we're going to play a little later, when during COVID we had to record books online. If these things are left in, many readers won't even notice them. But many listeners will notice, even if only unconsciously, and that could really destroy the listening of a good book. And the listener may not even know why she did or didn't like the book. So it's not so simple as just having somebody read something into a microphone. There's other work that needs to be done after that's done. One has to edit. I use one of three different software packages, depending on what I need. I use Studio Recorder, SoundForge, or Reaper. Reaper is more likely used because it's multi-track if I'm doing a play or something with a number of narrators because I can put each of them on a different track and control the volume of that track and various other things about that track and meld them together. Studio Recorder is an accessible application developed by the American Printing House. And for editing spoken word, I've actually even edited a music CD with Studio Recorder where the performers could not get further than several measures before they had to stop. And I dare anybody to hear the edits. So Studio Recorder is really amazing at this. SoundForge I use often when I want to do things with frequency adjustment and noise gate and stuff like that. But I'm not going to get into technical detail here. I'm going to play a blurb that I edited on Studio Recorder using some scripts that Jerry provided. These are really nice scripts. I'm not going to talk about the scripts here. In fact, I'm going to delete lots of references to them because that's a story for another day, and I wanted to keep this short. But these are really amazing scripts for speeding up my workflow. I do a lot of recording of audiobooks, narrations, and voiceovers, some of my own and some for other people. So I do an awful lot of editing. And one of the things I like to be able to do is to do it as quickly as I can with the assurance that I've done it correctly. I want to delete a part of a file I'm about to play for you. Now, it really doesn't need deleting. It's actually good as it is. But I wanted to demo this by showing you how to delete a part of a sentence. I'm going to play this file and show you what I want to delete. The bygone years seem to encroach ever more insistently into the present. 
vexing Sylvia day and night with their persistence. She imagined spirits of Christmases past crowding the halls. I want to start deleting at the point where she says vexing Sylvia. That really shouldn't be deleted, but I'm just going to play with it and show you how it's done. So I find that place in Studio Recorder. The bygone years seem to encroach ever more insistently into the present. I'm going to stop, and we're going to do control right arrow till I get to the very first utterance of this word vexing. Back up a little bit, put a mark here by pressing left bracket, and play the rest of the sentence. Vexing Sylvia day and night with their persistence. Now, I want to delete that, so I'm going to do control right arrow again until I get to the beginning of the next word. And there is the first part of the word she. And I'm going to put a right bracket here. Now I delete this portion of the file, which is selected, and I can tell that by pressing control shift space. Vexing Sylvia day and night with their persistence. Okay, so now I press delete. Persistently into the present. She imagined spirits of Christmas's past. Yes, that's exactly what I want. As I said, I do a lot of editing, and sometimes people breathe louder than I want them to breathe. Well, there's a good way to take that out with the custom volume script. I get the following message. Set custom volume, change dialog, custom amount edit, type of text, minus 5.0. I'm going to use this to lessen the first breath in this file. If you get the extra shock mount for the BP-40, which I would recommend that you do, we're going to talk about that later, uh, plan on that being a one-time switch. And I think maybe I want it a little less. So instead of minus 5, Dash. I'm going to do minus 8. eight. Enter. Saved. Let us hear what we've selected by pressing Control-Shift-Space. And as always when you do this, it loops, so it plays whatever you've selected over and over. Now let's actually cause this custom volume to take effect. Volume changed by minus 8.0 dB. So let's play this file from the beginning. If you get the extra shock mount for the BP-40, which I would recommend that you do, we're going to talk about that later, uh, plan on that being a one-time switch. Not nearly as loud. What I do want to do is get rid of this plosive. So the next sentence is as follows. Uh, plan on that being a one-time switch. Yeah, we might want to plan for that, but we might want to do it without the popping P. So I find the plosive. Uh, plan. So I missed a bit of it, so let me back up. Oh there's, not, oh, there's not a lot of room between there. There's the, there's the end of the syllable before, and there's the plosive. Okay, I'm at the beginning of the plosive. I press left bracket. I do control right arrow. And that's the beginning of the word. So now I'm going to put a right bracket. I had a volume set for breath, but that might not be enough. So I'm going to set a new custom volume. Set custom volume, change dialog, custom amount edit, type of text, minus 8.0. I actually might try something like minus 20. Dash, two, zero. And press enter. Enter, saved. Now let's make sure we have the plosive selected by pressing control, shift, space. Sounds like my motorcycle warming up. And now let's implement the custom volume change. Volume changed by minus 20.0 dB. Now let's rewind by pressing page up and see what this sounds like. Talk about that later. Uh, plan on that being a one-time switch. 
All right, we got rid of the motorcycle, or we got rid of the plosive. Now, sighted editors have many more tools they can draw from when editing. Just looking at the waveform of the recording, they can see some of the problems even before they hear them. Because the waveform of a recording, if you get to know it, is exactly that. The loud and soft passages and various other little blips and words and mouth pops, etc., that you can actually see in the waveform, and you can just go delete those. There's a pencil tool in SoundForge, for example. You can make the screen as big as you want so that you only see little tiny specks of the waveform, and you see this blip that might be a mouth click or a record pop or whatever, and you just delete it. Not so easy with people who can't see. We have to rely on much more experienced editing and rely on our ears to get the job done. And there are a lot of different tools to help. But in the end, it comes down to one's ear. So, now, let's assume I have a finished book. I then have to format it in a special way, depending on who I'm sending it to. Audible has its own specifications. NLS and SELA have their own. NLS and SELA use what is called the DAISY format, D-A-I-S-Y, otherwise known as the Digital Accessible Information System. This is what puts in the marks that allow people to skip to the next paragraph, to the next sentence, to the next chapter, to the next heading, phrase, word, etc. Audible doesn't use DAISY, although a number of years ago they did start marking chapters, so you can skip from one chapter to the next. And they, as well as NLS and SELA, have specs for the upper and lower limits of the volume and various other things that one has to consider, such as how much space exists between chapters, what's done between chapters with room tone, etc. So then you send the book off to whoever you're sending it to and hope it gets approved. If it is approved, the book will show up and people like us can listen to it. One more point to make before I end and open this to questions. Recording books during COVID. You can't just walk into a studio. You have to do it online. So that's what we did. I want to end with a conversation with the author and the narrator of a book I recently recorded during COVID online. There are two things here. Number one, it brings out the positive things that can happen even in the face of something like COVID. And number two, it also highlights the difference in how this particular reader handled the book versus that which Scott Brick and other readers talked about. I think you'll be interested in this. I will play this clip, and when it's over, we can open up the session for questions. Normally, when I record a book for Audible.com or narrate a book or have other people in, I'm here in my quiet studio. Quiet? Isn't it nice? However, then came COVID. You just couldn't have people walk into your studio and sit down and record a book. So we did it online. The book is called Nancer the Dancer, Myositis and Me, written by Judith Gwen Adrian. Nancer the Dancer was the name they called Judith's sister Nancy, when she was younger. And myositis is a dreadful muscular disease that ultimately took her life. So the book is about Nancy and the changes that she went through, both physically, mentally, and emotionally, on the way. <laughs> 
Judith, or Judy as I've come to know her, the author, was in her house. Carol Griskovich, the narrator, was in her house. And as in the case of most people, her house was not a recording studio. Far from it. So I thought it might be interesting to have both Judith and Carol online with me as they were when the book was being read. I have two reasons for using this clip. One of them is that the book is narrated in a way that's slightly different from what you just heard other readers do. And you'll discover the other reason at the end of the session. So with one push of a button, they'll both be online with me. Isn't technology wonderful? Hello, you two. Hello. So when we recorded, Judy was online as the author, following us in her book, making sure we said the right thing and recorded the right thing, and Carol was the reader. And Judy, you wrote this book in the voice of your sister. That sounds like an unusual thing to do, but it worked. But why did you do it? We were so close as children and as adults that it was almost using my own voice with Nancy. And she was so sassy and so forth. So it was, Carol really captured that element of who she was. Which makes me ask, how did you find Carol? And how did you know she was so sassy before? (laughs) (laughs) No, we worked together for a while. Okay. Mm -hmm. We worked together um, in the same department at uh, a small college and got to know each other through that process. And even though both of us have since moved on from those positions, I guess I left an impression. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you did. (laughs) Sassy, engaged, (laughs) loving. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The book is about a woman who started out, how can I say it? I mean, she was a flirt. She cared more about boys and what her hair looked like than just about anything else. She was beautiful and very sexy, and amazingly adventurous, downright daring, one would say. But she changed. She came down with something called... Dermatopolymyositis. Which is? Which is an autoimmune disease that actually attacked her muscles. So we saw Nancy from the start as this sassy person. But even before the disease, I think, I remember the, the passage when you all went up to Door County in the, in the summer and worked on a cabin. And she was really enthralled by the nature that I think she began to change. And certainly the disease changed her. And Carol, you had to read this. And it sounded to me like you changed with her. You were sassy at the beginning. And she always was sassy. But it changed. How did it feel to do that? To me, for me, it was, it was twofold. Um... On one hand, I felt the story changing and how Nancy had to adapt to her own circumstances. I could reflect that as I read it. I felt the changes very viscerally. And on the other hand, I could relate to the changes very viscerally because as time went on, I experienced some changes in my own health. And so there were sections that I read that felt very familiar to my own experiences that I felt very seen by Nancy and and I really saw Nancy in them and I think that whether I meant to or not that came out in my own reading and really added to my experience and, and also to the recording. I'm going to interrupt this at this point to play you the sample of this book that is on Audible. 
because this was the very first novel Carol read, and I think it's a very nice read, which says to me that, yes, there are professional readers, but there are people out there just like you and me who can do this if we put our minds to it and do some thinking about how a book should be read. Now, it's a slight bit different for a blind narrator, such as myself, because I don't see the page like Carol does. I have to figure out some other way to do it. And since my neck surgery a number of years ago took out the feeling in my braille finger, I don't even have that to fall back on. Also, there's a problem of reading in braille and trying to get rid of the noise of the braille display. I've heard only a few people who've managed to do that. Some of us have developed the art of listening to a headset, a little tiny earpiece in my ear, and reading what I hear coming out of that headset. It takes some practice, but I've done a lot of narrations like that. And if I can do it, so can other people who are blind. Back to this book and the sample on Audible. The reader will never know how much I had to do to take out the noise of the cat running across the floor upstairs, the washing machine going, the refrigerator coming on, the high-pitched whistle in her microphone. It was a very hard book to do, but let's once again hear it for technology. Here's the sample. One time, back when there was actual video stores for renting cassette movies, Sam and I went into the store to check out some flicks. We got clear to the back of the store, and my legs suddenly felt very weak. Sam, I'm not sure I can walk out of the store. You may have to help me. Without blinking, he put his arm around my waist and hooked his fingers into the belt loop on my jeans. Let's go. Together we walked out, a couple in love, rather than a man and his crippled partner. I always treasured him for that kind of tenderness and awareness. He was my Sam. We would go to the Walmart snack cafe regularly. It wasn't that I loved or hated that company. It was that, like the junk stores I frequented, this was a place I could walk and hold on to a cart and get exercise. The superstore offered a lot of space for moving around. I had tried out other ways to exercise before that, but like the yoga class, I just did not feel welcome. The yoga instructor once showed the class a position and then said, everyone is doing it right except Nancy. Walmart never subjected me to that kind of criticism, that kind of shaming. One day in Walmart, Sam and I ran into Barb and Carl. We had known them from our college days, and they were special because they listened. I told them, We have decided to hang out with you guys. You listen well. Don't you know that the so many people you spend time with, and after an hour or ten years, you realize they have only ever talked about themselves? They know nothing about you because they never asked. And I never knew Nancy, but I kind of think I do now, because you became Nancy, at least according to Judy, and I would guess <laughs> uh, if Judy 
has the okay on your being Nancy, I guess I guess you made an impression. You're right. <laughs> the problem, of course, is that we had to do this online because of COVID. Well, it took us probably the better part of a year because every once in a while we'd have to stop because the cat ran across the ceiling <laughs> upstairs or the washing machine was on or the neighbor upstairs walked across the ceiling in hobnail boots, it sounded like, <laughs> or the air conditioner wasn't on because Carol had to turn it off because it would be too noisy, and so she sat there in a hot room with the windows mm-hmm. closed because yep. if she opened them, well, you know that. And yet, we got it done. And of course, on today, when we're making this recording, hoping that we'd hear some of those sounds, there's nothing. Why don't <laughs> we record course. another book? <laughs> <laughs> Real quick. <laughs> Yeah, that is interesting. We did run into some problems. As you can tell, there's echo, which one of the things it's hard to get rid of is echo. You can get rid of a lot of other stuff, but echo. And there was such a dynamic range in that book. I mean, there were times when you were almost yelling full voice about something, and yet there were very sad parts that you were reading softly. And somehow you managed to capture, though, not only the intensity, but I think I asked you this before, How do you know, how did you know, which words to emphasize? Did it just come out automatically? Because it was as if you'd underlined the important words of the sentence. Let me go ahead and burst everyone's bubble. (laughs) I I decided early on that I wouldn't read uh, the chapter that we were going to cover on a given day until shortly beforehand. And even then, I wouldn't read it real closely, I would kind of skim it for for content and, and kind of characteristic because I wanted my own reactions to the story to be as kind of fresh and authentic as possible. Which is interesting because there are a lot of readers who spend a lot of time getting to know the character before they read. <laughs> Oops. And, well, that's not necessarily what you did, and obviously it worked. And that's, that's the irony of the thing, because that's, there's the other approach, is what you took, is that you wanted to be surprised as she was surprised. And You're because right. you felt enough empathy for her, your surprise was probably very much like her surprise, mm. I would think. You phrased it better than I ever could have. Well, it's a very lovely book, written by a lovely person and read by just as lovely a person. And one of the things this shows is when you record a book like this, whether it's in my studio or whether it's online, you get to know the author and the narrator, and especially if it's a book with a lot of depth and feeling and emotion, which this one is, you get to know each other. And, magically, you become friends, as we did. And that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is the end of my presentation. Well, thank you very much, Neil. It's Jerry. I certainly was enthralled with your presentation. And as somebody that's listened to audiobooks for at least 40 years, I still learned something, especially about what goes into making a great book and the many variations that authors, publishers, and narrators can can make the different permutations to bring uh, a different experience to the listener of that book. I thank you very much for putting this all together. Thank you for listening to the GTT podcast from the Canadian Council of the Blind. There are many ways to get in touch with us. You can call us toll-free 
at 1-877-304-0968. You can follow our GTT blog at gttprogram.blog. If you'd like to subscribe to our email support list, you can send a blank email to gttsupport plus sign subscribe at groups.io. And you can follow the Canadian Council of the Blind on the web at ccbnational.net.